Selling a little or a lot? Shopify helps you do your thing however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage. All the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is there to help you grow. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Get a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash work. Shopify.com slash work. The FT. Hello and welcome back to FT Science. This week we talk mathematics and particularly the maths of democracy. Is it possible to devise mathematically a fair voting system? One major player in this field was a man called Kenneth Arrow, an economist who won the Nobel Prize in 1972. He outlined what a system should be. It should be a preferential system, as we propose in the AV system, where each voter ranks each candidate from one to how many candidates there are. And we hear about the development of an artificial pancreas, which would make life much simpler for people with diabetes. In our studies, we have the computer algorithm running on a PC, but once we get into um, a commercialization or, or real product embodiment, it would run on a handheld device, a mobile phone worn by the patient. I'm Clive Cookson, and you're listening to FT Science. Our regular guest, Diana Garnham, Chief Executive of Britain's Science Council, is here with me. Hello, Diana. Hello, Clive. And our special guest is the mathematician Tony Crilly, who is now an independent mathematical writer and researcher after a career in academia. Tony's latest book looks at the big questions in mathematics. We might try to answer some of those big questions, for example, about infinity and symmetry later on. But first, I want to ask Tony a smaller but more topical question. With the UK referendum coming up in a fortnight on whether we should change our voting system in general elections from first-past-the-post to the alternative vote, or AV, what's your mathematical view of the two choices? Well, I should start off by saying that mathematicians have for centuries been looking at voting systems and applying their mathematics to this particular issue. And one major player in this field was a man called Kenneth Arrow, an economist who won the Nobel Prize in 1972. He outlined what a system should be. It should be a preferential system, as we propose in the AV system, where each voter ranks each candidate from one to how many candidates there are. So basically you're saying that if there were three names, every voter would have to make sure that he or she put down all three rather than one or two. How is this different from the AV system being proposed? Well, the AV system as proposed allows freedom to each voter to just put down what they wish. There's no compulsion on them to put down A, B, C or D, E, F or whatever. Do you think it's fairer to go back to proportional representation to introduce some system of proportion? Well, if we did that, then we would have to abandon the constituency basis for looking at a voting systems. The AV system does rely on having a constituency vote. Diana, what, what do you think? 
your preferences and your graded preferences are being taken into account more fully. And that seems to me to be more in tune with the times because you might argue that there isn't such a great difference between some of the choices we have to make and therefore being able to grade them one to three or one to five seems very sensible. For example, you carry on voting for a pope until effectively nobody's voting against the candidate. And AV is getting us closer to finding a candidate that more people are voting for, even if it's not a majority of people having it as their top vote. I think, you know, you you would have less divisive candidates, I think. I think the main argument for AV is that it makes the voters engage with all the candidates, whereas with first past the post, you only have to worry about your preferred candidate. In the light of Arrow's theorem, you can see that first past the post is really a very crude system. Yes. Because it only allows one preference to be made. Do I take it that you will be voting, perhaps reluctantly, for AV, Tony? I'm talking as a mathematician and should really sit on the fence. Diana, I don't think you'll sit on the fence. I suspect you're going to go for AV. Yes, I think AV is a more modern option. Me too, even though it's far from perfect. Tony, let's talk a little about the bigger questions, the much bigger questions in your book. There are lots of them. Which one appeals to you most? Well, it's very difficult to say. They're all favourites in one sense. I quite like the imaginary numbers because imaginary numbers are something which does engage the public. What is an imaginary number? Something invented by mathematicians to mean, colloquially, the square root of minus one. And it's proved very useful in all kinds of directions, in space flight, in the theory of electricity and so on. But if you actually plug in your minus one into your calculator and press the square root button, you get out nonsense. So it's a kind of theoretical artefact which has been invented by mathematicians to enable them to talk about things called two-dimensional numbers, which are complex numbers. I think you've just explained why it's so hard for people to engage with maths. But imaginary numbers, I agree with you. I think it's actually a rather beautiful concept. And it actually allows people to see mathematics not just as a tool, but something with a beauty and a shape. And and it is philosophical. And quite a lot of the mathematicians who talk about those sorts of things are... It's a hypothesis about maths, is it not? And it's something that they don't know the answer to, but the hypothesis remains very useful as a tool. Yeah, so really at the apex of our number system, in one sense, that there's a whole theory of complex numbers. Because they're two-dimensional, they give themselves to very beautiful pictures when we talk about fractals and chaos and things like that. So sum it all up then, Tony. What is the purpose of maths? Maths is uh, many purposes. It's really to engage mathematicians in a very beautiful subject like any artist would do. It also gives a way of looking at the world and it has so many practical applications nowadays that we simply could not do without it. OK, now let's hear from Duncan Jarvis at the British Medical Journal with his regular fortnightly contribution to FT Science. Homeostasis. It's a fundamental mechanism that defines life, the ability to respond to changes to maintain your internal chemical balance. When that mechanism fails, so, eventually, will the organism. And in humans, we're seeing one of those systems failing in epidemic proportions, and it's causing diabetes. In our body, the pancreas produces insulin to regulate the amount of glucose sugar in the blood. When that stops happening, we have to step in manually. 
Though injecting insulin helps control the condition, to a certain extent, it lacks the fine control that the pancreas has. But things are beginning to change. In the BMJ this week is a study of the artificial pancreas and how effective they are. It has a, a glucose sensor, which is a small probe, which is inserted onto the skin. Then there is the brain of the system, a control algorithm or computer program, which takes the information from the sensor on every minute or every five minutes, and it changes insulin delivery by insulin pump, which is the third component. Roman Havolka from the University of Cambridge, one of the researchers on the project. The idea is quite simple. So why is it only now that the system's being developed? Artificial pancreas has been under development for nearly 20, 30 years, and there was a really huge enthusiasm in the 70s. But at that time, uh, the technology was not advanced enough to be able to commercialize a, a system which could be worn by the patient. So we had been waiting for the last 20, 30 years um, for the appropriate glucose sensor which is commercially available and accurate enough to to be able to drive the closed-loop system. In their study, Roman and his colleagues found that the artificial pancreas did indeed regulate glucose, which just keep a constant steady dose of insulin going. But they're quick to point out that this is only an initial lab-based result. Our study is a stepping stone to, to doing home studies, and although we've shown a proof of concept, we still need to do home studies and follow-up studies to sh- demonstrate the, the use of the technology in, in home settings. In our studies, we have the computer algorithm running on a PC, but once we get into um, a commercialization or, or real product embodiment, it would run on a handheld device, a mobile phone worn by the patient. Diabetes isn't the only chronic condition where our treatment isn't as finely controlled as it could be. Blood pressure or other similar conditions may be future candidates. It may be possible that similar system would be suitable for other drugs and, and, and conditions. So we might be setting um, a foundation stones for um, other technology to follow after the control in type 1 diabetes. Now, Tony, those researchers needed a good mathematical model to make sure that the readings from the blood glucose sensor are translated into the right output from the glucose pump. It's an illustration, isn't it, that maths is, as you say in your book, a silent partner throughout science. It's very important that uh, we have underlying all these models, just like in the voting system, we had to make certain assumptions, and from those assumptions, which in this case here, try to model or mimic the medical situation, then from those assumptions we can then build equations and then model, model the medical situation in real time using uh, computers. But underlying everything is the basic mathematics. Diana, how do you think we can do more to make young people understand maths as the silent partner in all science? I think there's quite a lot of interest in numbers. One of the projects we're doing at the Science Council at the moment is we've got a link up with Orange and young people can use a mobile phone app to send us questions about water. And about a third of those are actually questions about numbers. How much water is in this? How many molecules are in that? So I think there's huge potential for us to engage. Yes, a lot of the applications then are filtering through to school children who are learning how the mathematics does apply to more than just the physics and chemistry, which in years ago used to be the case. How well do you think it is taught in schools now? 
Well, I hadn't got any first-hand experience of teaching in schools, but I know that when I studied mathematics years and years and years ago, I was taught by a very brilliant teacher who led me on the way to mathematics. Can you sum up what was brilliant about your teacher that inspired you? He went outside the bounds of the school syllabus. For example, he brought in journals to show us that mathematics was not just what we had to learn to pass examinations, but he taught us that mathematics was alive. There were people out there doing research, people out there enthusiastic about it, and by that means it translated itself into enthusiasm for us. I'm afraid that's all we have time for today. Please join us again next week. All that's left for me now is to thank my studio guests, Diana Garnham and Tony Crilly, and Duncan Jarvis and the BMJ for their contribution. And thank you for listening. FT Science was produced by LJ Filatrani. I'm Clive Cookson. Goodbye. For more downloads, go to ft.com forward slash podcasts.